0: GNT, the podcast from political blog The Groucho Tendency.
1: It's a new dawn, is it not?
0: Welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from The Groucho Tendency. My name is Mike Indian, and back with me, as usual, in the Speaker Pub in the heart of Westminster. Is South West London's very own Nostradamus, political <laughs> there are extraordinaire, and uh, failed rugby Super League uh, namesake. Not Liam failed. Kay. <laughs> <Not> failed. <laughs> Liam Kay. failed. Very, very opposite. <laughs> very opposite. <laughs> you want to explain? You just, you've just talked about your famous namesake. a few minutes ago as well,
1: um, uh, Toronto's first ever Super League try. Uh, was scored against castleford which is the nearest team to where I actually grew up uh, interesting this is Toronto
0: Canada isn't it yes, yes.
1: Toronto not-, okay,
0: not, not Toronto Yorkshire
1: <laughs> yes and Toronto scored the first ever try and it was scored by Liam k Liam k so I never, sadly not me I never knew the match is ongoing at the time I of never
0: knew it. this that you had such a famous namesake you know I think if rugby simply got to sponsor our humble little podcast then you know you' are more than welcome to I give us I would take any any payment they're willing really too often. <laughs> <laughs> so we are recording this. It is Sunday, the second of February. It's just about four weeks since our last one. Um, quite a lot has happened. I mean, it's been a, it's been a very, very interesting month, not least of all because we are doing this on our second day outside the EU. Yeah, it's um, a brave new world of. Uh, I, I got an Independent UK, apparently. I, I got to admit, I was up. I, I went up to a theatre on Friday night with my with my partner, and we came back, and we then we were sitting at home watching BBC News around the time that time it happened. And I was on Twitter mistakenly because I, I I'm some kind of some sort of pseudo masochist, some sort of glutton for punishment, and I was just sick to death of like both of the both sides on the you know people either prophesying doom or people just banging the uh, drum, or or people. I think my favourite was people taking videos of Brexit protests and somehow using it to claim it confirmed their worst stereotypes of either side. You know either some sort of loner or some sort of, you know, ardent nationalist lever, you know, which there are some out of the streets on Friday night, Parliament Square was taken over by it. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of
1: the most bizarre thing in, 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 in many ways because, like, from this point on, it's like the argument has actually now
0: ended. Yeah, but, but we, both hap- we both agree on that, don't we? Yeah. That, you know, Brexit has Brexit has happened now, and we are now in the transition period, which yes. means that for the next 11 months nothing changes. To paraphrase Theresa May, nothing has changed. Yeah. But what happens at the end of this year? What, why is the end of this year more important than the 31st of January?
1: Well, they need to have struck a trade deal by yeah. the end of this year. It needs to be ready to go, um, oven ready, as Coven some people ready. may, may, may like used in the past. Bang it in the microwave. Uh. Yeah, and you know, very much uh, the government and the EU are starting to set out their stalls yeah. over what is actually the more important, the harder, and the, uh, uh, you know,
0: uh,
1: the bit that will take the longest time to do is the actual trade deal, I mean, the arguments over the withdrawal agreement were okay quite significant hmm. i think the worry is that a lot of politicians well I, I don't think a lot of politicians will but there's the worry that a lot of people may well think that brexit is now sorted uh which might come as a surprise when we start getting towards november december time and it's it isn't, in it the isn't. news again
0: we are out you know, that hmm. has happened the, the commitment to take the uk out of the eu but we haven't sorted out what happens after we leave? Yeah. So it's like a relationship. Uh, exactly. We, hear, we haven't decided. It's like we've, we're moving out. Basically, we're in a period where, if we use a very crude analogy of a relationship, we have decided we're breaking up. We're in separate bedrooms, but we're staying living together basically for the next eleven months until one of us or both of us gets our stuff together. Yeah. And decides what's going to happen afterwards. We're going to touch on that a little later on. But the other big change is, is that the last week or so before we record this, the government has really stepped up again in terms of what it's aiming to yes. do. Uh, it's fair to say that we didn't see a lot of Boris Johnson until about a week ago. He has, yeah. he has been around, um, but a lot of what we talked about, we were just talked about how we've done this two weeks ago, it would have still been the Labour leadership election, the government hadn't really done a lot. Hmm. The passed the withdrawal agreement. Prime Minister hasn't made any high profile speeches, he hasn't really been in the media. He hasn't really been behaving like somebody who won the mandate that he won just over five, six weeks ago now, has he? I, th- I, th- I, think, I, think, I think the
1: key point, I think, comes down to um, his election in many ways, and with the nature of it being just before our withdrawal from the European Union, I think the idea is that... Boris, when he appointed his cabinet, he appointed a cabinet that was very much
0: something to get Brexit done. Yeah, that Brexit is done, in his words. Do you need the
1: same cabinet? Do you need to... Is this a, a building up? Um, they've allowed, you know, he's not really said anything. He's let a lot of rumours about what they may or may not do. Creep out. Mm. There's been a lot of dominant comings in and around. Uh, the media, hmm. uh, they've put out a lot um, about ministers and secretaries of state not spending all their time <laughs> sat in media uh, offices, you know, talking to newspapers or television or radio, but to spend time on getting their job done. Hmm. and. It very much seems, I think, like the reshuffle will be a bit more of a statement of
0: what he wants to do and yeah. um, will we'll be set the tone for the next couple of years. Yeah, because this is the same government that's been in office basically for six months now, isn't it? It's the same cabinet that Johnson appointed yes. in July when he, when he took over and it, at that time, you should say, that was the biggest change in, although it was a new government, it was the biggest change in a cabinet since the night of the Long Knives. although that was a reshuffle and this is a new government, technically. Even people like Nicky Morgan, Zach Goldsmith, who left Parliament or lost their seats at the election, have stayed in post in the Cabinet by being given peerages. Now, the one thing we do know is changing in the reshuffle is Nicky Morgan is stepping down from the Cabinet. She's going to stay. She's going to remain in the House of Lords. Zach Goldsmith is probably going to stay put, though, apparently. This is another thing that, you know, he's a close Johnson ally. Apparently, he's staying put. DEFRA is going to have a lot to deal with. In fact, actually, if you look at the Brexit legislation that's coming forward now, one thing the government has done. Is its publishment of the Brexit Bill, so the Agriculture Bill and the Environment Bill are two major areas that are coming back because a lot of the powers that are coming back to the UK from the EU are to do with environmental regulation. So we'll have a new system of environmental protection. We have to have, the DEFRA Secretary will have to devise a new means of um, farming subsidies as well, which is another core European competence at the moment. And that's only the government's only outlined how it's going to work for the rest of this year. There's the um, Shared Prosperity Fund, Regional Development Funding, which is that's important to areas of a country like Cornwall, like Yorkshire, yeah. like the North of England, North East England <laughs> that voted Tory at this election. But the other thing we've seen is the last week or so is that the government has actually been taking big decisions, hasn't it? There have been some major policy decisions that will outlast the, the, this lifetime of the government. And most notable one of those, I think, for me, was Hawaii. Mm. the decision on the five G network. So let's go back to the reshuffle quickly before we touch on some of the policy stuff. Mm. Who are you what big changes are you expecting to see when this happens? Is it gonna be a big is it gonna be big changes at all? Is it gonna be is it gonna be things like departmental reorganisations as well? Are we expecting, you know, more than just personnel churn here?
1: I I'm certainly expecting a bit of a clearing out of some of the more incompetent members who perhaps... Who are, who
0: are they? Go on, who are they? Well, who I mean, like, there's
1: very, 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 um, a name, that, a three-barrelled name that comes to mind, I think, that I may mean. well... Uh, oh,
0: come on,
1: Yeah, mister Reese Rees-Mogg, I think. Um, and, you know, I think there's a few there in the Cabinet where you look at them and you think they were mainly there because they were fully involved with Brexit. Liz Truss. not perhaps,
0: being one of them.
1: Andrea some yeah, Jacob so. Reese Mogg, certainly. Theresa Villiers Yeah, Theresa Villiers. And you know, it's it's very much Do you really need those people in the in you know, in your cabinet if you actually want to achieve the things that you said you want to achieve? Well,
0: well the gossip is that Zach Goldsmith is gonna go DEFRA because that's quite an important department and you know he's been very loyal to Boris Johnson. He would have unlike Nicky Morgan, he was planning to stay in the government had he not lost his seat in the in the election so he has a peerage now so he could be environment secretary from the House of Lords for example Manson did it with business secretary between 2008 and 2010 yeah. and Morgan's been doing it with since you know since the election for DCMS and so Goldsmith he's low, he's on secretary of state so he could jump Villiers and send Goldsmith to DEFRA Dexley was gone as well we should say yeah, there was no yeah. Brexit so that frees up another government department another top tier there
1: I mean as, assuming that they replace it that they don't just decide to um you know, I suppose, cut costs and that sort of side of things. And I, mean, just,
0: uh, I mean, we already know down the line that Sajid Javid has asked all departmental ministers to find a 5% saving in their budgets. So austerity yeah. is back, ironically, after the election. You know, those spending pledges have to come from somewhere because of the tax locks. The Tories have already had, you know, mm. stated how that's going to be paid for now. Even though it wasn't in the manifesto. It's... it's very much it's very much a case of
1: um, you know you take on a lot of big in- infrastructure projects um, the money needs to be found from somewhere mm. the Conservatives have also um, promised not to be so um, profligate as they allege that their um, rivals in the last election we're being but they're, still, but they're
0: still spending more than any of the previous Tory administrations in the yes. last decade aren't they I mean you know Theresa May David Cameron had austerity far more explicitly up front and centre yeah. 2017 manifesto reads very different to 2019 and certainly very different to 2010 Yes, given we've had four of them since the Tories came into office this, this, Tory, this current Tory manifesto is almost like a new it is a new government in a way it is the same Tory party but it is a different emphasis on spending yeah uh, Are we it, expecting Sajid Jaffid to move? To uh, m- no, I think
1: it would be a, odd to move a chancellor before he's even had a chance to do a um, budget. No, and he seem he comes across as quite a, a close personal. He's got a good re- personal relationship, I think, with Boris. So I think I think I think he will keep him in. There's also the, I mean, in the long term, whether he's he will still be in. Uh, by the time of the next election, my gut feeling main, is no. My mind gut feeling is no, but I think he will certainly be in and around for the current period. There's also, I suppose, the mm. you know, every single prime minister and chancellor. That is an incredibly important relationship. Mm. Um, you know, you go from the fractious. <laughs> Mm. Uh, days of uh, Blair and Brown yes. to the um, you know the uh, sort of ultimate sort of uh, you know heartwarming friendship that was the um, sort of Cameron Osborne. There was a friendship as well, it's yeah. fair to
0: say. I mean, and this this, this but this Javid Johnson relationship is different, isn't it? It's more of a pragmatic, you know, recognition yeah. of that power really rests now with Number Ten for the first time, quite a yeah. lot, not the Treasury.
1: And I think in in Javid he has got somebody that. Um, all of his other qualities is somebody who's probably a bit more pliant and probably a bit more willing to um, go along with things for political
0: expediency. For now, I mean, I, I think I think you're right about the tension in that relationship coming out down the line when there's a there's a major project Johnson wants to fund and the Treasury will go.
1: Mm. Mm. But I, I think it's it's key to it's key to point out that um, he's one of his. Uh, Junior's in the Treasury. Rishi Sunak. Yes, studying uh, for Johnson in the debates and was being very, very heavily yes. put forward. Now, I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel he's been earmarked to be Chancellor at some point soon. I agree. I would or at, least, or at say, least
0: business secretary or something like that. Yeah. I think he's in line for promotion.
1: I think, I think, I would. It'd be quite a good fit. I think to put him in charge. Of that, you know, to take it, take it from Ledson. Now, new blood to come through and to prime him for um, the big job, um, and also, you know, he's <laughs> reasonably charismatic. He's a good media player, and yeah. I think for Boris as well, having somebody who probably signed up to his ideas a lot more um, to put him in charge of something like business which you know may well actually become quite a bit more of an important department um, yes. given the nature of our departure mm. with the European Union Yes. so he, you know it would be interesting to see where he goes and, what, and it would also be in tr- very interesting to see what happens to um, Michael Gove. Um, who is currently without portfolio, well, he's, he's whether apper- he will be given one.
0: Apparently, I mean this is the restructuring because the Department in the EU is now gone. Mm. The new trade deal is, is going to be hashed out not by the Department of International Trade but by the Cabinet Office team under the Prime Minister's EU advisor David Frost. But apparently Michael Gove is going to be the public face of that. Mm. So I see Gove staying at the Cabinet Office as Chancellor of Duchy of Lancaster to lead on this. After a year or so though, I think, right, where does he go after that? Because does Gove become the de facto Deputy Prime Minister that, you know, because Do- Dominic Raab holds that status at the moment, but if I were Johnson, I would keep an eye on Gove because given their relationship, you know, and but also how long is Dominic Cummings going to be around for as well? You know, one gets the sense that he isn't, he isn't exactly bedding in for a five-year, you know, stint in Downing Street.
1: And equally, I mean, the relationship between Gove and Cummings is, you know, he, he used to work with him at the Department very of closely. Yeah. So, I would be surprised to see him. I certainly, I certainly think Number Ten will probably think that he's a bit more dangerous on the uh, the outside. He's certainly loyal, the isn't he? He's
0: shown that. Yes. He's, he's, t- he's shown that Theresa May that he's very capable of serving a prime minister well. Um, I think Michael Gove's leadership ambitions have probably come to nothing now, but he, he, you know, he's going to remain in charge of the I've, I, I've last th- chunks of
1: Brexit preparation. I think he probably has still yeah. another shot at it, but I mean, like, he's still reasonably young. Yeah. But, you know any leadership ambitions are certainly not going we to are come to the fore for the next decade. Not for
0: the, well, We said this about Cameron, didn't we? I mean, you yes. know, 2015, yeah. and look where that got us. But it certainly seems now Johnson, Johnson is in the Senate. There is, for the first time in a long time, we're not contemplating an election, not yeah. contemplating a, a second referendum. It's, it's almost a relief to hear the government talking about things other than Brexit as well. I mean, the Huawei yeah. decision, for example, is a good example of a, of a long term that's been kicking around since... A long-term decision has been kicking around since Theresa May's time, and this is this is the decision taken by the National Security Council this week mm. to allow Huawei to have a share in building parts of the UK's future 5G network.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you know what 5G is? Do I? You know? Um, can we say n- what 5G is?
1: Vaguely, but not quite enough to right. <laughs> say it on a podcast. So, <laughs> 5G
0: is the next generation in mobile networks basically, yeah, yeah. but it's about more than just making sure you've got decent download speed for Netflix. The advantage about 5G is not just its speed but also network stability, now I'm sure if like me, you've been on your 4G phone around and then occasionally, you might notice that you can't, you know, there's, there's, there's limitations to how much capacity the network infrastructure can take. We don't have universal coverage for 4G yeah. by any means in the country. Even in my flat at home I can't get a signal if I stand in the wrong part in, in the bedroom for example trying to take a phone call. Five G allows greater network stability, allows more information to be sent on a more secure, stable connection. Now that opens up a whole Pandora's box potentially of problems, but also possibilities too such as smart technology being a good part of this as well. You know, think of things like a whole raft of different technologies could run off that could make our lives much easier, much more connected. But of course, the big questions around involving Huawei stem from not just national security concerns but also its connections to the police state and surveillance state in for the countries it's operated in, yeah. uh, whether or not China, China the Chinese government is in running the company too. Uh, industrial espionage is something that China has engaged in the past and also good old-fashioned espionage too but the government has said that Huawei will only be in, will only be involved in maximum have a 35% share of yeah. the network that will come down over time because so there's only three companies internationally that have the capacity to build 5G that we could compete with. Yeah and bid for and also that they were only be involved in non sensitive parts of the network, so run their GCHQ, for example. And even then they'd be labelled a high risk vendor. Dominic Ra made a big statement. As he said Huawei we understand the risks of Huawei better than any other country in the world was like that is a, that is a bold claim to make.
1: That it's, it certainly is and I mean I think I think the key thing that the British government was sort of saying before was what 's the alternative to the Americans uh, the, the Americans have been upset with the decision. I kind of feel that the fact that the Americans have gone' were a bit upset but left it at that, certainly for now, um, I think probably suggests that you know, things have blown over to a certain extent. Um, it is certainly a decision that you can make at the moment when you have an 80 seat majority. Yes, that, and
0: that is the luxury of what the government's got right now, isn't it? You yeah. know, they can make The trouble is so that they won't be, some of them may not even be alive when they take the decision. We may not know this until t- 20, 30 years down the line when this infrastructure has been built and embedded into our lives. We don't even fully understand the implications of it now. Yeah. Um, something that we don't really fully understand the implications of. Either is HS2. Yeah. The government's review has apparently reported this is the Ogreby review that was commissioned last year by Johnson on the financial sustainability of the project. It has apparently reported in favour of HS2 still going ahead, despite the fact the cost has now more than doubled since the original yeah. 50 billion estimate to now being £106 billion. Pounds. I confess I'm an HS2 fan. I think the project should go ahead. I think building major infrastructure in this country is important. they also, if they cancelled it, it would cost £12 billion pounds already. Yeah. I, I've always
1: kind of felt that the argument in favour of it that what we needed was to bring up current infrastructure to a standard mm. that is higher rather than a completely new um, rail line. Um, you know, high-speed rail as well. The times that they're on about something of like taking off um, a journey between something of like you know say London and Leeds, mm. you know, it's taken about 20 minutes off the journey. It still doesn't put London, and doesn't put Leeds in the London commuter belt. No,
0: it doesn't, not by a long and,
1: and at yeah, the same time, you yeah, know, realistically would you even want to have a situation where you put in major cities within London's commuter belt anyway? That, you know, I, I kind of feel that what was needed was a more reliable, fully electrified train lines around different parts of the UK. Which the government hasn't
0: delivered in the last no. 10 years, it's quite promising too. Project McLaughlin deferred a lot of major no. electrification projects during his time at DFT.
1: I mean, you know, a bigger thing is you know, why on earth It takes as long to get between Leeds and Manchester, you know, it's twice as long to get from Leeds down to London, but it's about three times the actual distance between between those two cities. And it's, again, it's like looking at things of, you know, like Leeds is the biggest city in Europe that doesn't have a form of a tram or tube or some sort of Mm. public transport network. Um, That's sorely needed. Mm. and there's a lot in like cities there that the connection between places, like especially going into those major cities, it's far easier to live outside London and get into London than it is to live outside, say, Manchester and get into Manchester.
0: And remember, Johnson talks about what's <laughs> been called Northern Powerhouse. We can. It's widely acknowledged in this country that east-west connectivity is an absolute shambles. Like trying to get, for example, from Leeds to Manchester. You know this better than me. It's a bloody nightmare. It can't yeah. be done. I can't but think that you know the government's talking about building a new railway line between Leeds and Manchester as one example of Northern Powerhouse Rail, as It says, I mean, you know, getting getting across the country is just difficult even on roads. I mean, you know, there's, there's there's a train line that runs Leeds to Manchester, but, but sl- I mean, it's it's slow. It's not particularly great,
1: and it gets worse when you go out. Um, if you're going between sort of like, say, Manchester and yeah, let's pick an example. Blackpool mm. or you know Burnley or like Lancaster actually, Lancaster's a good yeah, example. Where I went to uni. Yes and you know you kind of, the train systems are not very good, they're not very reliable. Um, you know a lot around in my part of the uh, West Yorkshire. Sure, sure the trains are run by um, that uh, uh, newly newly nationalised um, Northern Rail, and um, you know, a lot of it is having a reliable transport network that works, and you are not reliant on cars and taxis and a bus system that frankly, um, is not fit for purpose, no. certainly in Leeds. And this, is,
0: and this is the issue, I think, with the transport strategy of the government, is that the, 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 big, the big message of the government has been levelling up the country, all parts of the country, but it can only be done, apparently, by investing in more than just HS2. Now, from a political standpoint, you can't claim to be investing in infrastructure, in my mind, and cancel the UK's biggest infrastructure project. Yeah. However at the same time the nationalisation of Northern Rail represents the fact that you know, we've also got the Williams review on rail white paper still to come out so there's major reviews of the rail system coming down the line under, under yeah. this government
1: yeah.
0: I mean we don't uh, reading Grant Shapps' statement it's very clear they don't expect any quick fixes to Northern Rail and I've travelled on Northern Rail a few times and the Pacer trains which job, basically get all buses are absolutely appalling I remember getting on one yeah. and the window was just full of like, stagnant water everyone's yeah. got a Northern Rail shambles story so the government's got to find the money for it at a time when they've prioritized certain things but the trouble is with infrastructure that you can't do it on the cheap you have to do it in such a way that it represents value for money for the taxpayer but it's the kind of thing that pays dividends Down the line as well. Okay, so those are a couple of big decisions that the government has taken. The last one I think we should touch on quickly before we move on to Labour leadership trade deal. This is the biggest one for this year, certainly. This is the the 11 months to get the future economic relationship with the EU sorted. Yes. What's different between what Johnson wanted and what Theresa May
1: wanted? He wants a far looser relationship. Essentially, yes. if you were to look at the countries that you were perhaps modelling it on, I think Theresa May is certainly a lot closer to what the EU would. Perhaps want to offer a country, then say um, Canada would be wanting to have with the EU, and that Boris's approach is very much, I think, Canada's model he wants to go for. Yes, I think their backup alternative is an Australia-type model, which is even looser. Very loose. And you know, I think. You you see how the things are shaping up at the moment. The EU, I think, I think it's Monday, mm. is going to publish its sort of offer, essentially. What 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 it's going to negotiate? The mandate, yeah, the mandate. mandate. Like The key thing is they've been very much stressing that during the withdrawal agreement um, negotiations there were a lot of things left off the table, not discussed, mm.
0: which, may now,
1: yeah, which will now be brought into um, play, um, one of which is the Guardian was reporting that the status of Gibraltar is going to be brought up really, uh, and Spain will have a veto on the entire trading relationship unless Gibraltar is sorted in eleven months which oh, and northern Irish border 2.0 isn't it it's, it's it's these kind of little issues of you know you know for example does Greece refuse
0: to sign off unless the Elgin marbles are taken back these these these, these the trade deal has to be ratified not just by the European Parliament but also by all twenty seven member states and their subnational parliaments as well yes and it's We don't
1: particularly know how far countries will want to go in um, sort of you know sorting long-held grievances, but there is the risk. You know, the UK government's taken a very um, belligerent uh, tone to the start of these negotiations, which you know. As, mm. as we've seen in, in sometimes in negotiation that works quite well so, so i mean there's no judgement on whether we you know we will see at the end of the year yeah. whether whether that was a good idea but yeah. um you know there there is the possibility of you know cans of worms being opened which yeah we
0: particularly need to be um so we'll see so the scope of this trade deal is going to cover it will allow, cover most goods, but it will yep. also put checks on them as well. It won't also cover services, which makes up 80% of the UK's economy. Yeah. It will also not cover data guarantees as well. Now, the UK... The, so it's important that most of our economy, including financial services, won't be covered by this trade deal. They'll have to, we'll have to reach different understandings of the EU. Financial services is a great example of this. Like, you know, we don't know if the EU's got the grants equivalents, which would ensure better access of our financial products to the single market, which is something at the moment that we have said we'll grant EU financial services wanting to trade into the UK but the EU haven't said they'll give us. So even if we get a trade deal, there's lots of sub deals that need to be struck. Yeah. Not least of all over things like data guarantees and, you know, financial products just being two examples of that. So there may be a, a UK, an EU-UK trade deal, but there may be stuff after that that has to be hashed out. Now, when the UK Treasury modelled a Canada-style arrangement over 15 years, it found that we would, our GDP would be 4.9% smaller as yeah. a result of that. Other people have said, other research out this week has suggested the UK economy could lose potentially £15 billion pounds a year by the end of the year if the trading relationship isn't sorted out quickly. The lesson is from. It took Canada seven years to agree CETA with the EU. Mm. We've got 11 months, in practice, eight, once we passed, had to pass the draft mandate we measured out. we well, closer than Canada was to the EU, but even then, even if we get the deal, we've still got a long way to go. The government may regret writing into law that they were committed to leaving the EU at the end of this year and not extending the transition period to ensure a bit more breathing room.
1: I. I kind of feel in many ways actually having a, this this may be the key thing with the reshuffle is removing some of the people who are very very vehemently set on that may be an opportunity for him to go I have an 80 seat majority I can extend it if I want at the end of the year.
0: Yes I think and also Um, it's not another election for However long I think people, I mean, most people would want him to get it right rather than stick to leaving instead. and stuff. And he, e- he has got e- ways of e- extending something before, hasn't he? Thirty first yes. of October to.
1: And equally, I think you know you have a look at the next election when it actually comes up. I mean, like realistically, is Brexit going to be an issue? If he hasn't sorted it by then, it certainly will be. If the trade deal has, so, got, I if mean, trade like deal has been
0: bad and the economy is struggling, absolutely yes. So he, it's his decision. Johnson has to get right. Yes,
1: I. I I would be, as as much as the sort of tone of the government is that, I think they would be willing to extend it, it would not be by a long
0: time, though. No, matter of months, probably no more than a year. Okay, so, that's the government. Let's move on to consider the opposition. There is a Labour leadership race still going on. We are still actually two months away from finding out, it's not going to be until the first weekend in April, I think, Yeah. that we will know the Labour uh, League, I think it's, I say the 4th of April, that we'll know. 4th or 5th, April. So one, of of we'll, one of those, the first is Saturday of in April, isn't it, that we'll, that we'll know. Yeah. Um, who's still in the race?
1: Well, we've got Keir Starmer, as, yep. as expected, Rebecca hmm. Long-Bailey, as expected, Lisa Nandy, you know, perhaps a little bit more surprising. And then I mean Emily is still, still clinging in versus dropped out, so I would be surprised if Emily Thornbury did make it to the final ballot. She still gre- needs it, to get the Is it a
0: great loss if she doesn't? Is she somebody who, who should take her seriously as a late leadership contender? I mean she's certainly somebody who has a lot of pedigree, but I mean
1: her campaigns thus far I don't think is really particularly um caught a light at any point so
0: she's got until Valentine's Day to try and get enough nominations from constituency uh, Labour parties to go forward
1: yeah um, you know I think I think honestly the way things are going at the moment I think she'll have Valentine's Day free so or
0: well, she can go out dinner with her husband or something like that yeah. you know yeah, she's you know it's pointing evening but, but uh, she's been polling in single digits hasn't she so far yeah um, I think we've got to address what it's kind of been the. I'm not sure how to describe this. I think in every election so far, the media have a tendency to talk somebody up when their chances are probably remote. And I think, are we guilty of this with Lisa Nandy and Because you and I are both, you know, we've, I've written a blog saying I think she should be Labour's next Prime Minister, or she could be because of her ideas about. She seems to grasp what the problems are facing the party. But at the moment, she, she did make it through to the ballot second, you know, hmm. before Rebecca Long Bailey. I haven't seen any polling since then to say that if she's ahead or not, or if she's enjoyed a surge. Jess Phillips dropped out to endorse her, but she's still looking like she's still the outsider in this race. And she knows, let's be realistic, she's not somebody she's not experiencing a Corbyn-like surge, but down, but down the outside
1: here. Equally, there's two months of the contest left. There are televised debates, debates coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was something like around about six in
0: ten Labour Party members don't actually know much about her. Um, which? So what is it about that they should know then? What is it about Lisa Nandy and that you know would really, if anything, would capture their imaginations? Do you think at all? Well, I, you know, I think I think a lot of it comes down
1: to I think she gets a grasp of where Labour has gone wrong in many of its heartland seats. Mm. I think she understands a lot of where people are coming from when they complain about um parties previous policies and mm. directions um, I think she also you know she's not a Blair right no you know she's she understands as well I think where the membership is at but mm. she's she's willing to say things that are perhaps unpopular with the Labour Party membership but, mm. I mean is now the right time for her? Uh, I mean, I think she will have to do some fantastic performances in the televised debates, and I think she will really, really have to sort of run the campaign of her life to hmm. get it. But you know, the things that she is is saying, I I think are correct, okay. and I think if the Labour Party membership isn't willing to listen. I think that probably says
0: more about the membership than the uh, candidate. But equally, the, the counter argument could be made that the Labour membership are picking their next leader. They have to have someone whom they believe in. I think as well. I mean, you know, we can say we can say that this is the next prime minister of the UK, and you know they may be. You know, there's nothing to say Keir Starmer wouldn't be prime minister. Um, but equally, Labour's membership has soared to a new high yes. under this election. I mean, post Corbyn. You know, one thing he did do, I think was an unequivocal success, was building Labour into a mass membership party, it's, it's, it's a new line in Western Europe, it's now over um, 575,000 members, yeah. that's a heck of a constituency, the Tories have about a quarter of that, yeah. if you know, if at all, you know, probably 120,000, 150,000 members. There's a real quandary, thing for Labour in this contest, that they can pick someone who they think is going to be a good opposition leader. And I think, you know, you made this point about Emily Thornberry, she, she's touting herself as sort of rather short-sightedly, I think, as being the one to take on Johnson. Mm. Lisa andy has got a lot of ideas, but I think she, her time comes in four years' time. I think she... You know, I think if Labour picks her now, they're, 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 they're wasting a, a perfectly fine candidate on a potential suicide run, because, you know, facts are facts. Labour has to win 124 seats off the Tories in four years' time, mm-hmm. um, to be able to win the next election. Now, Keir Starmer, I think, makes gains, but I cannot see him at this particular point in time being Labour's next Prime Minister. At least, and then he's in the same position as well. I don't think Labour needs those big ideas, and I think it needs someone, as you said before we started recording this, very um, accurately, I think, as well, very astutely, They need someone who's good on detail. Yeah. And Starmer is, among many things, great on detail. And, you know, he's
1: up against a Prime Minister that is not great on no. detail. And you know the things that are going to be the big issues is whether or not his promises, um, particularly to those Heartland seats that went Tory. You know the the key is to if Johnson delivers. I think it's very difficult for Labour to actually win the next election, regardless of who it is. But what they need is a Labour Party leader who is going to. Scrutinize it and to exploit when there are not promises that are kept, and yeah. that that is where Keir Starmer would be very, very good. It's also
0: where I think Lisa Nandy and would be very good. And you know, what about Rebecca Long Bailey here? Because you know, we she she's she, I think I think uh, let's be fair to her. She's had a very difficult level to overcome this terms of being the continuity calling candidate here. And actually, we should take her on her own merits. Then, Yes, we can say she's come from a wing of the party that has run Labour for the last four years. Mm. But she is still her own person. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the same as sort of... Yeah, when it was David Miliband running, and, you know, Continuity Blair. I mean, like, it's not quite accurate. No. They are of the, that school, but they have their own ideas. As you would expect any, any politician would have their own ideas. You wouldn't have everything enacted. That you want, even particularly, even if you're a leader. I mean, you know. It, but I think I think the concerns with her is, thus far, despite having a membership which is mostly supportive, she hasn't really. You know, her, I, th- I think we're still waiting for her campaign to really come alight, And yeah. she, she, I think she likes. You know, charisma, mm. and I think there's been some sort of silly comments. They're giving Corbyn a ten out of ten. I mean,
0: that's the one that sticks in most people's minds. I think is the giving yeah, Corbyn ten out of ten.
1: That might play well with momentum, but I'm not overly sure whether that's something that you particularly want as a television clip to go around uh, the next time an election comes up.
0: So, what is the single biggest priority for Labour's next leader? What do they have to do in the next four years? It's, got, it's, it's a four-year job basically. Let's take it. Uh, you know.
1: I think they've got to. I think they've got to show they're an effective proposition, and I think they've got to spend time bringing the party together to be focused on piloting an election mm. And you know, given the size of the majority, I think you know you look at the next election is going to be about trying to reduce that mm. rather than setting out to uh, all out going to win. Um, you never know; things might might happen. This, you know, four or five years is a long time. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think they've got to get the party in shape so that probably the election afterwards they can look at winning.
0: Yeah. So. No, I agree. Um, there's also another leadership election going on at the moment as well. But I think the way you used to describe this one was irrelevant.
1: Yeah, a bit uh, harsh. I don't I don't think so, I mean like Who are we talking about? The Lib Dems Yeah, I, I oh them Yeah, yeah Then like it still exists uh, still there But um, I'm What's the view, I mean They're not announcing until July um, No, that's a long
0: Given they've only got 11 MPs Who can, can potentially be leader
1: Yeah Including
0: Ed Davey, who's the acting leader That's a very long time
1: And, you know, you just kind of Feel that, yeah, they'll have an election and everything. Um, you know, it's Ed Davies to lose if he's acting leader.
0: Well, only Christine Jardine said she's running so far. Um, there's been a lot of talk that Leila Moran could run for uh, the MP for Oxford yeah. West and Abingdon. I am not a Leila Moran fan, if I'm honest. I am nothing against her personally, but I don't think she. Look uh, at the, the attributes Joe Swinson had, I think Leila Moran has. All the, all the flaws of being bit too earnest, a bit too preachy, but none of Jo Swinson's got kind of warmth or charisma, I would say.
1: And I mean, I think I think the last election, you know, Jo Swinson, the more people got to know her, the more they disliked. Which her.
0: is a shame because she's she is she's genuinely a very passionate and lovely person but, from what I've
1: seen. But I mean, to be like, honest, Ed Davey doesn't particularly strike me as a Wonderful candidate. I mean,
0: they haven't got one, have they? To be honest, here. I mean,
1: I mean, the last time I, I can remember, I can remember saying to somebody um, sort of the last leadership election when it was her, um, him versus uh, sort of Joe Swinson. You know, the two of them together kind of look like, you know, very earnest, nice liberal parents at a football match. <laughs> and of people see a dollar Jeff Yeah, and sort like they, you know, they seem very very. Nice, just whether or not you would think yes, no, they, they should be prime minister. <laughs> it depends what the Lib Dems want. I mean, like the direction of the party was potentially stop Brexit. Um, yeah, it's done now. Yeah, it's it w- done. So they have to, and
0: they've got to find a new purpose in politics, don't Now,
1: in many ways, it was sensible for them to wait and see what the outcome of the Labour leadership was because you know, if Becca Long Bailey wins, they there's can, a lot they of could, gap in the centre. Yeah, they If either the, the other two candidates win. It's very much where do the Lib Dems fit when Labour has moved. Ten ten years of Tory government, I think,
0: will position themselves to position themselves nicely as a protest party, kind of thing which they were good at in the two thousands, yeah, during the Iraq War particularly.
1: And it it quite possibly actually suggests that you know they need somebody who is a new name, and to accept that there's going to be a long time before the next election, and you know. Why not have the most impressive candidate that comes forward? You know, why, why does it need to be somebody who had any experience of being in the coalition? Yeah, I, I mean,
0: R- Leila Moran may be the best thing ever to happen to the Lib Dems. She may be the next Lib Dem Prime Minister. Mm. But where have I heard that before? <laughs> right, so very quickly at the end, because we have about seven minutes left, uh, let's skip across the Atlantic. So tomorrow, the day after we record this, is the Iowa caucus, which is the first big milestone in a massive election year for hmm. the US why is the Iowa caucus important?
1: Well I mean beyond the fact that it's the first one <laughs> um, you know it's this it's, when it, whenever you get sort of you know the election cycle in the US is very much you have two years of being president and then you have two years of essentially doing the campaigning but your opposition is um, spending the two the full two years is having a debate toing and throwing, people coming in, people disappearing from the contest um, almost as quickly as they appear in it in the first place, and you know, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, um, yes. but I think Iowa will set out some of the key points. I mean, like Iowa is, you know, not. You know, it's, it's it's one of those sort of I think Rust Belt states that I think Donald Trump will certainly be looking to, um, you know, win in the election and you know later this year. Um, it, it's certainly a state that I would expect Bernie Sanders to be winning um, if he is to okay. win. If he if he if he is to win the for um, if he, if he's to become the presidential nominee I think this is this is the real really the test I mean Joe Biden's got strong support Mm. you know pretty much across a lot of the country Um, I would expect I would expect that if Bernie's going to sort of win it this is a must win for him I think because this
0: is the first one um, where the delegates begin Mm. to be pledged for the candidates the nine candidates who are running still in the Democratic race, still quite a large field. Obviously, former Vice President Joe Biden, Vermontsen to Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren on the left, uh, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, Amy Kobuchar, Andrew Yang, Tom Steyer, Talisa Gabbard, and of course, um, former New York Mayor, billionaire, and uh, Erstwhile Duguid and Michael Bloomberg as well has entered mm. the race. So, at the moment, the media is kind of positioning this between... Biden and Sanders, as you said to there, Sanders is ahead. I think. I think,
1: I think that's what Elizabeth Martin Warren, Elizabeth Warren. But it's well. a growing rift
0: between Sanders and Warren, isn't there? You know, there's been there's been some quite heated words there, particularly over I you think, know whether or not Sanders called her a liar over a particular allegation a few weeks ago. And there's. I think.
1: I think this was always. I think this was always going to happen. I think like what had happened is both of them had wanted to put this as a campaign about which left member of the Democrats left wing mm. is best
0: which is the ascended st- branch at the moment is yes. a party.
1: Both of them have wanted to put this about which of that wing should be the next leader. Yeah. I think so they spent a lot of the time of twenty nineteen, the gloves have been very, very firmly on with each other. Um it's been more about trying to um you know target, you know, Biden, um, Mayor Pete and, you know, sort of Set it out in those frame it in those terms I, the closer you get to the actual primaries, um, you need to be setting out why you individually are the person that should be the mm. presidential nominee and you know Elizabeth Warren you know she's behind Bernie Sanders in the polls um, you know she, in that Bernie Sanders can afford to keep this current status quo going she has to find a way to bring his total down and if the two of them between them yeah
0: only one of them can
1: contest yeah. can it Biden I think I think the pressure may well come when if Biden takes a lead at any point
0: hmm. uh,
1: Sanders and Warren there may well be a further rift when it comes time for one of them to perhaps make
0: way for the other I think the further tension then becomes between the establishment Democrats and the left as it were whether it's Sanders or Warren, comes from the the fact that a lot of states, Philadelphia is a great example of this, where the stance on fracking adopted by Sanders, you know, a lot of the energy-intensive industries, such as making still dominate in areas like Philadelphia. Yeah. Biden's moderated his stance for that, and he's from that kind of state, whereas Sanders and Warren are very much standing much more on a point of principle, and that's going to affect things like the union backing. Our blue-collar work, the traditional blue-collar Democrat support, is going to gravitate to Sanders and Warren. I mean, interestingly, at the last
1: um, time that the uh, the last time that the Democrats were picking a leader, Sanders performed extremely well in the blue-collar Rust Belt states. Um, he was very much the person who was making the argument that things needed to, to change there. Mm. Um, they are also the states that wholeheartedly embraced um, Obama with his, yes we can, mm. Yeah, things are going to change here. And then at the end of the eight years, decided that they'd rather go for Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, just narrowly as well. Trump won because he knew which states to win. Yes,
1: and, you know, you look at Bernie Sanders, he's had previous support in these states. Um, I think he will almost certainly be, if, if he does not win it, uh, especially if he loses to um, Warren, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be very, very serious question marks over whether or not he can actually win the Democratic uh, nominee. I mean, and can, Warren, a can that,
0: Warren beat Biden?
1: I think Warren's victory is tied up in uh, the fate of uh, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> So i um, think we'll put, come back
0: to this in a few months I think, we'll yeah, I, so they can see where i are at. So at the uh, moment we're still saying, we're still envisaging the final Democratic nominee still being Joe Biden.
1: I think so, p- yes. But, I agree. But I think there's certainly three candidates who are not overly far away from having a breakthrough at some point. So who um, are they, just so we know uh, before we go? Sanders, Warren. And uh, Mayor Pete.
0: Mayor Pete is the one I would love to see go forward, if I was honest. He'd be a very interesting one, but I think Trump would massacre him, if I'm honest.
1: Most probably. But um, that's probably a question for after the Minister. We know, <laughs> the know they'll be facing <laughs> Trump because his
0: acquittal and the impeachment trial is not in any doubt anymore. But yeah. I don't think we need to touch on that too much. But you know, it was always going to be the case. I think. Yeah. It was a bit of a it's, it's shadow boxing. I think with the the real test will be at the ballot box yeah. in November, won't it? And Trump who will be facing Donald Trump. In fact, in many ways, it's almost a good thing because Pence, Mike Pence, has been too much of an unknown quantity. Yeah. Particularly given he's a former governor of Indiana. And uh, we'd have no trouble holding the evangelical base together for the Republicans as well. Yeah. Right, we are coming up on 50 minutes, so I think we are going to leave it there. Lynn, thank you very much again. No we, we will be back in a couple of weeks, I hope, schedules permitting, obviously. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug at all before we sign off?
1: I am just, as ever, if you're interested in charity sector news, third, third sector, sector magazine. Sorry, there you go.
0: Uh, as ever, please check out The Groucho Tendency, www.thegroucho.co.uk. Uh, this podcast is going out on iTunes. We hope if they certify us for approval, so we're going to get a bigger audience. Um, if you're listening in, please do leave a review and a rating. It means more people will see it as a result. Um, I'm sure there'll be other stuff popping up. I did a spot on Bloomberg Radio on HS2 and Huawei. You can find that back in my timeline on my Twitter account. That's at Mike underscore Indian. Liam, your handle is if people want to follow you. Uh,
1: oh, I'd have to check. I'd I'd to check. It's vaguely, vaguely, if you Google Liam K. Look for Liam K.
0: Twitter, Third Sector. Yeah, you'll find, you'll find him. him. You'll find him. Until then, thank you very much for listening. This has been Mike Indian and I'll see you next time.